0: Hey there, welcome to night school. We're doing a two a day. Got a two a day in the studio tonight. Just like football practice, we do two a days here too. Two a days here too. But uh, yeah, I, I was just on a walk a minute ago and I crossed my mind the politicization of animals. I did an episode or two. I think I talked about it a couple times months ago. The politicization of animals. Because I had a realization last summer about that. And I'll get into that in a minute here. And at the time, it might have sounded crazy to people. Like, what's he talking about, the politicization of animals? And I feel like it's been a little bit redeemed. That idea has been a little bit redeemed or confirmed recently. And this episode is going to be a little bit current eventy. I'm going to talk a little bit about a current event. And, you know, my attitude toward current events, you can't avoid them sometimes. I think if you lean toward... I think if you lean away from current events, you know, you're better off all around. I think if you lean away from them, it doesn't mean you can avoid them completely, but if you lean in the opposite direction, you will talk about them minimally. Only when absolutely necessary. And even when you talk about them when it's absolutely necessary, you'll still, you'll still feel a little bit dirty talking about them. Because I can't talk about current events without feeling a little bit cheap or a little bit dirty. And it's good that I feel that way because I'm less likely to talk about it unless I really want to. I would say it's not ever necessary, but I would just say there are times where I really want to make a point that requires current events. It's not unlike my attitude toward free speech, where my free speech absolutism isn't so delusional that I think we can exist in a world of complete and total absolute free speech. I know that's unlikely, if not impossible, but if I lean hard in that direction, if I lean hard in the direction of free speech absolutism, well, we're more likely to live in an open world, for one. It doesn't mean we will have absolute free speech, but if I lean that way, we're less likely to go in the opposite direction, at least as far as I can help it and influence it. So it's sort of that idea. It's just I mean, it's basic discipline, is I'm going to do this as much as i can so that the times when i don't do that don't devastate me it's like having a diet or fitness or anything it's like yeah i'm going to i'm going to lift weights every other day so that the, the if i take a week off it doesn't shake me off my game completely and i just stop or like i'm going to eat healthy food every day so that when i have that i hate the term cheat meal I hate the term cheat meal, but so when I have my cheat meal, it doesn't ruin my life. Like, but there, there's also, you know, you have to draw a line sometimes. Like I don't eat potato chips. I don't eat potato chips at all because there's just, it's a slippery slope where I'm going to eat them all. Like it's not worth having potato chips in my life at all because I, it's unmanageable. Some people just drugs and alcohol. Like I don't drink at all. Because I just don't want to open that door again. Current events are manageable. I can control my current event commentary. But I lean away from it. But anyway, who needs to hear my disclaimer? Who needs to hear my explanation? Um, that's just my stance toward it. Is It's not that I can avoid it completely. But if I lean away from talking about it, I will talk about it less. Because I find it annoying when that's all somebody talks about. But a current event going on is Jabama bin Biden's dog. And last summer, I think it was, I don't remember when it was, it was influenced by last summer. It was a realization I had last summer, and I think I did an episode maybe in the fall about the politicization of animals. And one of the reasons I was thinking about that at the time was a video I had seen of a car that had driven down a street where there was a BLM riot going on, a BLM crowd. I don't know whatever was going on. I don't know where it was. But the crowd started throwing rocks at the car. And from the video I saw, I don't know that the car did anything. I think they might have just turned down the wrong street because that happened. You know, during while all that stuff was going on last summer, that happened where, you know, cars that just happened to turn down the wrong street got pelted with rocks and got surrounded by mobs of people. While there were cars that were looking for trouble, there were many people who weren't. And this car turned down the wrong street. I don't know what their intent was, but people started busting out the windows and throwing rocks and objects, and there was a dog in the back. I think it was a small SUV or a station wagon, and there was a dog in the very back window, and they smashed out the back window, and the dog was rightfully scared. The dog was like barking and just, you know, terrified out of its mind, and people were continuing to throw rocks. Even though they had already busted out the back window where the dog was, they were continuing to throw rocks. I don't know if they hit the dog, but they certainly weren't trying not to. And, uh, that was sort of a realization for me where they were like, oh, they hate the person in this car and see them as their political enemy. I don't know that the person in the car was their political enemy or just somebody, like I said, who drove down the wrong street, but, uh, we live in a world now of wrong streets, but anyway, they were throwing rocks at this car, and then because the dog is in the car, it's like that dog is now an extension of the person you hate. It's a primitive way of thinking, but it's it's real, and, you know, you can just see this, I mean, it's not just political, but it, it has played out politically, and it's played out in war, Like, people have done horrible things to the animals of their enemy during warfare. You don't hear about it very much because it's a footnote of a footnote of a footnote because much larger events were at play. But invading armies and soldiers will do horrible things to the animals of the people they're attacking. They'll kill them, for one. You know, and and they'll—not just uh, livestock. They'll kill livestock, obviously. They'll kill farm animals, and that serves a practical function because it's a resource— It financially, I mean, it it hurts the very livelihood of of whoever owns livestock. Um, It's a resource for one, but it's also an act of just cruelty because that thing is seen, even though it's a living creature, because they could just take the livestock. You know, they could just take livestock away from their enemy, but sometimes they'll kill it just because they see it as an extension of the people they're invading, of the people they're at war with. And they'll, of course, kill people's like dogs. I mean, you hear about that. I mean, it's not the stuff people want to read about, but people will kill people's pets during times of war. They'll torture animals. I don't know if people don't want to hear this. I don't want to say this, but it happens. And so animals get politicized in that way. And when I saw this video of people throwing rocks at this dog who was just—its owners happened to be on this street in this car. And, you know, if those people driving the car did intentionally go down a street— where there was a mob of people, well, shame on them, too, for taking their dog into that mess. But shame on the people for throwing rocks at a dog, too, because of who its owner was. And uh, so that happens. And people do that personally as well. And I know I'm treading on ground I already treaded on previously, months ago. Uh, But, you know, I remember a friend of mine telling me how her ex-boyfriend... And her got in a fight, and the ex-boyfriend like screamed in her pet's face. In its ear, actually. Screamed in its ear. And I don't know that this guy... I do don't—I didn't know the guy, but like, I don't even know that he was... He probably wouldn't have considered himself an animal hater. He probably had animals he liked. But he saw that pet as an extension of his girlfriend who he was mad at. In the same way that those people throwing the rocks at the dog in the back of the car saw the dog as an extension. I bet some of those people throwing those rocks... Well, they might not have intended to hurt the dog. They were terrifying the dog. And I bet some of them would I bet some of them had pets at home. I bet some of them considered themselves animal lovers, you know. So it's you can see where it's not just being a fan of animals versus not being a fan of animals. And the whole personal thing, I mean, like if you don't like somebody, there's a chance you won't like their pet. Like, I've even had to catch myself in that regard where it's like, there are people I'll see online or here or there. And, like, if they post a picture of their pet, if I don't really, especially in the past, if I didn't like that person, well, I don't think I I ever got like too weird about it where I was like, oh, I hate that animal because I do love animals. But you kind of feel at least a, a little bit more indifferent toward that person's pet than you do, you know, maybe someone you like or someone you agree with. Because the thing is, is, like especially in politics, if you consider somebody your enemy, you start thinking of everything they touch as tainted. And that includes their kids. That includes their pets. That includes the things they listen to, the things they like, the things they watch. If you associate anything at all with that person, it has the taint of your enemy. The taint of your enemy. And... Animals, you know, fall into that. And the reason why I feel redeemed is because when I talked about all that stuff before, and I might have had some other examples. But when I talked about that stuff before, I I was worried that it would sound completely insane. Not that I'm usually worried about that. I mean, I think obviously this show, that ship sailed a long time ago with this show, but I was thinking as I was saying it, I was like, this probably sounds insane to somebody. The idea that I'm all worried about the politicization of animals Because that's what happens in an environment Where everything is now politicized Is that animals, too, get politicized And uh, I feel a little bit redeemed, though Because a couple months ago There was all this talk in the Meteor Not necessarily the social Meteor Although that, too But the regular old Meteor About Jabama bin Biden's dog Coming to the orifice and uh, they were saying, like, oh, we finally got a guy in the white horse that uh, likes dogs. And that was political man- manipulation right away. Right away, Jabama bin Biden's dorg was being politicized because they were trying to say that, oh, the last guy didn't have a dog in the white horfus. The white, ho- white horse orifice. Uh, they didn't have a dog what does that tell you about the guy who was in or- Orifice last the new guy has a dog therefore he's good so you could see where that was politicized right away but it was a test that everybody can fail when that was a, when that became like a meteor talking point a talking point in the meteor in the center of that burning old meteor uh, i It was a test that everybody can fail regardless of their political stance, because if you see those headlines about, oh, we finally got a dog lover in the orifice, you know, you're going to fail that if your response is, oh, if you get sentimental about that, if you buy into that you're failing the test, but you're also failing the test if you react in the opposite way, like, which I saw where like all these annoying right wing pundits and people, people who feel the need to react to everything true reactionaries. And I don't mind reactionary. uh, I don't I don't mind reactionary ideas just on principle. But you can see where that word comes from. And it's because it's people who simply react to everything. Think because they think they need to react. And you, you see that with, like, right-wing pundits who, like, oh, as soon as the news headlines came out about Joe Obama bin Biden's dog, you know, you saw people being pretty much hating that dog. Like, not saying that, not like, screw this dog. Not that explicitly, but it was there. They were They started to dislike that dog or the idea of those dogs because of who they were associated with and who was... Writing articles about them, the sorts of publications that were like, we got a dog lover in the White House, you know, which is disgusting, like the way that that was politicized was disgusting, but it's equally disgusting to react and be like, Screw his dogs, which I guarantee you somebody felt. I mean, I saw ideas like that being expressed by people on the right wing where it's like they have to have an opinion about this dog. So you fail the test no matter what your reaction is. Like if you feel the need to have a politically motivated reaction to this. you know. And the thing is, too, I know people on the left. Like I think about a friend of mine where she had posted something online about. She was like, "This is such bullshit." Like, she's on the left. She's like, pretty far on the left. And she was saying, "Like, this is such bullshit." Like, what they're doing, the way they're using, Joe Obama, Ben Biden's dorg, as a uh, a prop. Like, she's like, I like, can't people see through this? So it's not, it's not even like seeing what that is. Seeing that as a politically manipulative maneuver is not limited to like your own political stance. We're, like people i know on the left saw through it people i know on the right saw through it people i know on the left bought into it people i know on the right bought into it you know people i see at least i don't know about people i know but people i see bought into it and by buying and buying into it is playing the game at all whether you whether it tugs at your heartstrings or whether it hardens you in response it's like that is failing the test because you're playing the game That you don't have to play. But it all feels very scripted. Because there was that. Like when that came up I was like okay. This is exactly what I was talking about. Where because things are so politicized. Animals are being used as some sort of prop. And then you're expected to respond to that prop in a certain way. And no matter how you respond. To me it's equally disgusting. And I don't even like talking about it here. You know, it's like the current event thing, all that. Like, I don't even like talking about this specific current event. But it does fit into something I've been talking about for a while. And makes me feel a little bit redeemed for making some of the points I made in the past. You know, while it's a little bit different than people being like, oh, well, uh, you know, it's not the same as people throwing rocks at a dog. And, you know, it's not the exact same as that. But I feel like this is all in the same category. This all... It operates in the same headspace, headspace, whatever that is, headspace, that I was talking about then, and uh, you know, and then now it's it's in the news again because this this all feels very scripted where now the dog bit somebody, and now people are failing the test again. This is a test that gives you multiple times to fail, gives you multiple opportunities to fail, because you failed it the first time when you heard that the new guy had a dog in the white house. You know, you failed at that time if you reacted, and now you get to fail it again because the dog bit somebody, and you can go, ha! Because I'm seeing all these right-wing people respond very disgustingly to it where they're happy that a dog bit somebody in the White House. And, you know, that yeah, the dog, I don't think, is going to get put down or anything like that. But it's, like, it's getting shipped off. And they're now they're excited that, like, this whole manipulative dog thing, which I, I don't—I'm not going to say that it was—that the whole, like, idea— I'm not going to say that Jabama bin Biden is being manipulative in owning a dog. Of course not. But, I mean, obviously the media has used it in a manipulative way. I think like the White House knows what it's doing as well, but it's like, I'm not going to celebrate the idea that like their plan backfired and the dog bit somebody, you know, I'm, I'm never happy about that. You know, it's like, first of all, it's not good for the dog and the dog shouldn't even have been probably in that environment. You know, it seems like a really unhealthy environment for any living creature to be in right now. Sounds like a horrible atmosphere. Normally, but especially now in 2021, Washington, D.C. sounds like a horrible place to have an animal. <laughs> I'm serious, too. I'm, I'm 100% serious about that. It doesn't seem like a good place. Dogs respond. Dogs are very psychic. They respond to energy. And that is not good energy. Of course, it bit somebody. But, uh, you know, the fact that people are celebrating that, like, you know, come on. You're failing again. And uh, so it's it's just the, that's a game that gives you multiple opportunities to fail, and uh, you know, and, and it does it does feel very scripted though. It almost feels like Chekhov's gun or something, and or as I call it, Terry Cruz's grenade launcher. If you didn't hear that episode a long time ago, I was talking about when my friend Nick and I saw The Expendables in the theater on opening night. The Expendables is that action movie that had, I think it was made by Stallone, and it had all these old action movie stars, kind of like. Kind of a throwback, but not really because it was just like a bunch of old guys being action stars. But it was great. It was, it was one of the best movie-going experiences I've ever had because it was all dudes. And, I, you know, I can't—I've probably seen like three movies in my entire life on opening day. And I'm, I'm proud to have seen The Expendables. And uh, Nick and I went, and it was just filled with dudes, like dads with their sons, just guys like us. You know, everybody was into it. Everybody was really into it. And early on in the movie, they introduce a grenade launcher that's supposed to be, like, really devastating. And it looks really cool. And then they don't bring it up again. And then near the end of the movie, like, the bad guys have almost won or something to that effect. And all of a sudden, Terry Crews, who I really like as a celebrity and as a person, I really like Terry Crews. But Terry Crews shows up with the grenade launcher from the beginning and... And he just starts laying waste to the bad guys. And I have never been in a theater where everybody pops. Everybody shot out of their seats and was cheering, including my friend and I. And we don't do that. Like Nick and I, you know, we've been friends forever. We don't just like shoot out of our seats in movie theaters and yell. Everybody did. There was this like this dad and his two sons sitting right in front of us. The dad was like a five foot two. Mexican dude with his two little boys and he shot out of his seat like a rocket and he had both of his arms straight in the air and he turned to his kids and his mouth was open and he was just he was yelling and his kids were yelling and we just Nick and I just looked at each other and we were like holy shit this is amazing all because like it was Chekhov's gun to a T, like as if you're not familiar I think it's Othello or some play I don't know if I got that right um, but there's some old play that I've never seen. But like they introduce a gun early on in the movie. Apparently it belongs to Chekhov. Chekhov. Apparently it belongs to Chekhov. Chekhov. And uh, then they bring it back later because there's this idea in storytelling where it's like you don't introduce a prop or an object if it's not going to play some sort of role in the story. It's going to it's a plot device like you don't introduce an object early in a movie unless it's going to play a role later. And so Chekhov's gun is that. And in the case of the Expendables, like they literally did exactly that, where they introduced Terry Crews's grenade launcher. And sure enough, Terry Crews's grenade launcher shows up at the end of the movie and makes a big statement. And so I, I don't care about some play I've never seen Chekhov's gun. Welcome to the new. Welcome to the new millennium, where we refer to it as Terry Cruz's grenade launcher, and it makes families, f- from all sorts of backgrounds, it makes immigrant dads shoot out of their seat while we do the same thing behind him. You know, I felt like I was at home in that movie theater. That might have been a public movie theater, but as far as I'm concerned, it was a home movie theater because I have never felt more at home than seeing Terry Crews lay waste to these scumbags with his grenade launcher while we cheered. Anyway, so uh, (laughs) uh, it kind of felt scripted, like they introduced the dog, not that the dog is a grenade launcher, but like they introduced Joe bin Biden's dog to the story. And like, of course, that's not going to be the whole of the story. Of course, the dog's going to bite somebody. Of course, something's going to happen. Like, when I heard that news recently, I was like, this is scripted. And I'm not one of those simulation people. Like, I've rallied against that on this show where I hate when people say, oh, you ever start thinking life's like someone experiences synchronicity and they start thinking, you ever think life's a simulation, assimilation or a. that's how, people, that's how people respond to like spiritual experiences. They're like, man, I think life's a simulation. And it's like, no, a simulation is mimicking life. So of course life seems like a simulation because a simulation is mimicking it. Life of course seems like a more well-rounded, you know, life seems like a simulation with a greater range of motion. Than, than what we think of as a simulation because the simulation is trying to recreate that. So like when people say like, oh, you, you ever think uh, life is a simulation? It's like, no, a simulation is trying to be like life. So of course life seems like a simulation at times. It's like looking at yourself in the mirror or it's, it's like looking at a photo of yourself and being like, you ever think about how, how that looks like me? And it's like, yeah, because it's a representation of you. It's a photo of you. A simulation is like a photograph of life. So, of course, life has qualities in common with a simulation. It's like playing it's The Sims. It's like you're, you're playing The Sims. Hey, hey, kids, you ever heard of The Sims? It's like a, this is my street preacher. Or this is my uh, youth, not street preacher. This is my youth preacher mode where I like compare life to video games. It's like when you're playing Call of Duties. No, it's like when you're playing The Sims. No, but it's, it's like playing The Sims and being like, dude, you ever think about how like maybe life is The Sims? Because like I can buy furniture and put it in my house and you can do that in The Sims. So life must be like The Sims. It's like that's what I'm hearing when people say, you ever think life is a simulation? No, it's you're getting the order wrong you're reversing the order of these things. And obviously, I'm passionate about this. And I don't know why it bothers me so much when people say it. And if I'm proven wrong, well, if it it turns out life is a simulation of something else, which it could be, I'm not going to say I know. But if life turns out to be a simulation of something else, that is going to be such a profoundly mind blowing It's going to be so profound. It's going to be such a profoundly mind blowing revelation that I'm not even going to be mad. Like my ego is not even going to be invested in the fact that I'm wrong. Like if I'm wrong about life not being a simulation of something larger, which it might be. I mean, I do believe in as above, so below. But, you know, I don't think simulation is the right word, I guess. If life is mimicking some larger process in the same way that a smaller like digital simulation mimics our lives. I don't think simulation is the right word at that point. So obviously I have an opinion about this. But anyway, I I don't like to get into the whole like you ever think we're living in the Truman shows. Oh, is this? Oh, it's life's like the Truman shows. It's scripted. Life is a simulation. It's scripted. You know, I don't like to think that way, but sometimes it does feel that way. And like when they introduced Joe Obama bin Biden's dog, and then like a month and a half later, the dog bites somebody. It just seems a little too perfect. But anyway, you can't let yourself react. You can't celebrate that. But you also shouldn't defend it. It's like I said, you can fail that test on both ends of the political spectrum. Because you're reacting to it. And I'm proud of my friends on the left who I saw who, at least this one friend in particular, where she wasn't buying it at all. She was like, I know what they're trying to do. Even though she voted for him, like, she saw right through it because she's an aware person. Like, I don't evaluate people based on, like, intelligence in some sort of intellectual, you know, You know, I don't evaluate intelligence on an intellectual Level to me, it's just awareness. Are you aware or are you not aware? How observant are you? I think of intelligence as your level of observation and awareness, and that's you know the biblical definition of knowledge, too. Where it's like Adam and Eve, when they eat from the tree of knowledge, they become aware, they don't get data. They don't learn facts about science and history, and they don't go to school. Like, when they bite from the apple, it doesn't give them a, a college education. It makes them aware. So it's like you can see where the most basic definition of intelligence or knowledge, rather, which, which of course, intelligence and knowledge, like how do you separate those ideas? But the, the most basic idea of knowledge is awareness. It is self-awareness and you can't really have self-awareness without some sort of greater awareness. So Adam and Eve gain knowledge, which is awareness. And so I I didn't even realize that until way later. Like, I've been thinking of true intelligence as awareness for a long time. And then when I finally read the Bible and thought about it, I was like, Wow, knowledge is just awareness. It's not like data. Which makes sense. I mean, and that's Gnosis, you know, that's, that's why, you know, gnosis knowledge, you know, those share a root and, uh, or at least something, they share something. They share the root of the tree, the tree of knowledge could, could really go wild here, but no, I see awareness as, as the, at the core of intelligence on its most basic level. And because of that, I don't see most people as stupid because I know people to be very aware I know human beings to be far more aware than they will ever even admit because they are terrified to talk about how aware they are of everything around them. For some reason, I don't know, we think that our survival depends on hiding our level of awareness. It's why kids don't want to volunteer the answer to the teacher's question. On one hand, your peers will think of you as a snitch for some reason. And I, under, I understand it intuitively, I just don't know the real reason. Like, when a kid raises their hand and answers the teacher's question, like, even if they're not the kid who does it all the time, if they just do it at all, their peers kind of think of them as, like, uh, they're betraying the rest of their kids for some reason. And, uh... <laughs> I'm on that one again. I, I I don't know. And it's it's the same thing, though, with, like, Something I realized about growing up, like in high school, a lot of people pretended to not know who each other was. Like there were a lot of kids in school where they'd be like, oh, you know, uh, Johnny Williams and be like, who? Or you'd see that kid, you'd see Johnny Williams at the grocery store and you'd pretend you don't know who it is. Meanwhile, you know who he is. If nothing else, you saw his face and name in the yearbook and maybe you had a class with him. But you pretend not to know who he is unless you have a reason because for some reason it's not cool to know who somebody is and run the risk that they're going to either not know who you are or pretend they don't know who you are. There's this imbalance of power with that and we're so scared of that imbalance of power that we will pretend we don't know people who we know and we will pretend we don't know the answers to the teacher's questions that we know because we are so afraid of some sort of weird imbalance of power. Among our peers. But uh, I remember, like, I didn't go to my high school graduation and the after party, which was like, by after party, I mean, like, there was like a sanctioned school event where they took all the seniors to a water park and let them stay there all night. And I didn't go. But my friend was telling me, he was like, uh, oh, yeah, these two kids, these two guys were drunk. My friend went and he said, like, these two guys who were our classmates were drunk and they were like going up to everybody. Because they were glib, they were giddy, and they were like, oh man, like I loved you, man. You know, like people they had never talked to, they knew all about them. And that's the townie experience too, where like when I've gone back to my hometown, which isn't, isn't a ton, like I haven't spent a lot of time with people that I went to high school with, but like I've had a couple experiences where you run into people who you didn't really know, and it turns out you know them and they know you. Like, even though you pretended not to know each other back then for some weird social survival reason, everybody knew who everybody was. Everybody was paying attention. And, of course, there are exceptions. Like, I got invited to my high school reunion. I guess, God, yeah, that was like seven years ago now. But uh, I'm getting old. Oh, man, you ever hear it get, getting old much? You know, but, no, it is kind of weird, though. I'm like, wow, seven years, I'm almost, I'm closer to my 20-year reunion now. Uh, but, uh you know, I got invited to that. And like the girls who invited people, I had never heard of them, which made it makes sense that the girls who are organizing the high school reunion are girls that i would never heard of, like the sort of girl who would want to do that seems like somebody who would have just flown by. And I wouldn't have known them. But uh, speaking of which, like what's funny about that is for my high school reunion, they just invited people to a Facebook event. There was no formal invitation. There was nothing in the mail. It was literally just a Facebook event that they, like, invited people to. And this guy that I knew, I'd call him an acquaintance. I played football with him. We were never really friends, but uh, he was a popular guy. He was really upset, and I remember, like, seeing these posts from him where he was, like, raging about it. And he was like, in my parents' day, in my parents' day... They got a formal invitation in the mail and it was professionally printed and you guys are just inviting us through a Facebook invite. He was so upset that our high school reunion was like cheap. He was so upset that all it was was like a Facebook invite and there was no formal thing that it it wasn't up to the standards of his parents' generation. And it's like, this is the world we're living in, dude. I get it. I get that like you don't get to have that cool feeling you always heard about your whole life that high school reunion was gonna be magical. Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. You know, I'm sorry you don't get to experience your like Romy and Michelle fantasy, bro. But uh I don't normally say that bro. I don't normally talk about Romy and Michelle neither. Um either, neither. But uh anyway, I'm I'm sorry you don't get to experience that, that like magical fantasy you always had about your high school reunion. I'm sorry that it's all it is is a Facebook event to like a bar that you get invited to online, just like you get invited to all sorts of nonsense that you're not going to go to. But, you know, you already know who all these people are and what they're doing with their lives now anyway, because that's one of the differences of, like, my generation, my age group, like almost to a T, like almost exactly, like my class is almost exactly the first group of people who didn't need a high school reunion because we already like all these people who are my age got facebook when they were in college and they've seen every step of everybody's lives through social media or like they know who got fat they know who lost their hair they know who has kids they know what you do for a living so it's like a high school reunion serves no purpose other than to like let you hang out with each other which you could do anyway if you wanted So it's like, because I mean, the whole idea of a high school reunion is that like, I don't know what all these people have done with their lives. Maybe like fat Johnny Williams, (laughs) maybe fat Johnny Williams has gotten like really ripped and he's like a billionaire and all the girls are going to fawn over him. Maybe, uh, maybe Mike, the quarterback lost all his hair and he has five kids and he's divorced. You know, that sort of experience is gone. Like, that used to be something that people experienced. Like, even my sister's generation experienced that. Because, like, they had the internet, but they weren't really using it. Like, they weren't the Facebook generation. They weren't, like, social media. Like, they all, they were done with college by the time all that stuff came around. They were already well into adulthood. And so my generation was really kind of the first. My age group was really kind of the first to, to not need a high school reunion. You already know everything about everybody. And yet this dude I knew was, like, upset about, oh, when my parents got their high school invitation, it was on fancy paper with gold lettering, and you had to RSVP by mail, and it was held at a hotel, and uh, it's like, yeah, dude, you're, you're first of all, not going to learn anything new about anybody because you already know. You already know what everybody's been doing for the last eight years, ten years. Your eight-year high school reunion. No, uh, you already know what everybody's been doing for the last ten years. You you have current pictures of them. You know what they're doing. It might as well just be a Facebook invitation to a bar. Sorry, you missed out on the high school reunion era. You missed out on the golden years of high school reunions where it actually meant something. I don't know why. I'm having. I, I got all kinds of opinions. I bet you think that it's a simulation too. Oh, what you're gonna have to do is. Go to a simulation of your high school graduation because that's actually what it would be like if you were to go to your 10 year high school graduation now you would basically just be simulating a high school uh, 10 year anniversary you would basically just be simulating it because it's like you already know everything there's no surprises you would just be pretending to be surprised. And I can't really, I don't know what the appeal would be except like if there was some girl that got away from you and you think she's going to be there. I can't see what other appeal there would be to going, but it's a simulation. It's a simulation. Um, I'm creating a video game. What's your video game about? Why do we have the same voice? I'm creating a video game. What's your video game about? It's It's a a simulation of someone's 10-year high school anniversary that'd be a great video. I'd play that video game. If anything would suck me back into video games, it would be uh, (laughs) a high school 10 year anniversary simulator. But anyway, anyway, uh, uh, you know, my point was, is that like something I realized after high school is that everybody knew who everybody was and they just pretended they didn't know because they were scared of being rejected or scared of like Knowing who too many people are is uncool. Showing how aware you are of everything is uncool. The reality is anybody with half a brain is aware of so many things, too many things, so many things that they would be utterly devastated if people knew how much they know. But the catch-22 is that everybody feels that way. And everybody is that way, except a small minority of people who truly are lacking awareness. You know, and those are the dumb people. (laughs) You know, because I I mean, I I don't want to ever get in, like, you know, as much as I rally against the idea of, like, I see dumb people, I hate that. You know, oh, I I see stupid people. Okay. Why are people so stupid? You know, I can't stand that way of thinking. But that said, like, I'm not going to get into. I'm not going to paint myself in a corner where I say, oh, there are no stupid people, because there are. You know, it's just that I don't think most people are. I mean, it's, it's not different than, like, the current events thing. It's just the middle way. It's the middle path. They don't teach you that in Buddhism, but the middle path is like, you don't say there are no stupid people, but you also don't say there are only stupid people, because the balance is somewhere in the middle. Where there are stupid people and there are smart people. And it turns out smart people can be stupid and stupid people can be smart. So what do you really think you know about people anyway? Anyway. Anyway. But awareness is what it all boils down to. And through awareness, you can keep yourself from reacting. That's the beauty of awareness is that... When you understand your own awareness... You have much more control over your entire life, (laughs) you know, because, I mean, that's the truth of it. It's like awareness really is the fundamental intelligence of life. And it, it transcends our own, you know, human narcissism where it's like even plants are aware. Why do you think plants gravitate toward light? Like when you walk by a bunch of trees or plants, why do they grow in the direction of the sun? Because they are aware of it. You know, so everything is a model of awareness. All life is a model of awareness of some kind. Even life that, li- that lives deep underground is aware of something. And anything that sustains you, any, any level of awareness that sustains a life is a good enough form of awareness for me. Not that life is the be-all, end-all. But just, uh, I think you can use that as some kind of measuring stick where it's like, oh, this thing is aware. It is responsive. But, and being responsive, though, is not the same as being reactive. Because you can be aware and you can respond, you should respond. Being aware means responding a lot. but a reaction you know and maybe I'm splitting hairs on the definitions here but when i hear react you know i think of this unnecessary emotional ir- re- uh, eruption an unnecessary emotional eruption is what i think of when i when i hear react whereas respond i think of a an action i think of a response as taking some kind of action based on something that you have become aware of or are aware of Whereas like a reaction is just like you're you're aware of it, but you're not even aware of yourself. And it's it's very easy to just react to politics. It's very easy to you start reacting to people's animals that you'd like or you don't like. You start reacting to the fact that your high school 10-year anniversary was just a Facebook invitation and not a, a gold lettered you know thing on fancy paper you know you start reacting to that and I react to things all the time you know obviously I'm you know I do it I'm a human. I'm a human and we react but you can be aware of that you can be aware every time you do react and be like oh I'm reacting. I'm reacting. And reaction is addictive, especially when you feel pressured to do it. There's a lot of pressure to react. And sometimes people will see you not reacting and they'll think something's wrong with you, something's suspicious, because you're not reacting in the same way everybody else is. When those people might be better suited thinking, hey, this person isn't reacting the way we are. Maybe that can be put to good use. Maybe they can respond in a way that will help the situation. That's what I hope to do. You know, I don't think I'm doing it. I certainly don't think I'm doing it. But I I would love to be in a position where I can respond. But so often, I feel like I'm reacting. And I don't think that I think anytime you you feel forced to respond it's a slippery slope to just reacting because you can't do anything, anything else like when you realize that you can't actually structure a real you know constructive response to something you still want to do something so in the absence of being able to actually do something you react because that makes you think you're doing something so in that way a reaction is a simulation of a response